Join us this week as Byron Pitts talks all things missions, both local and global, and gives his experience as a missionary in China. All right. So um, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Um, how did you, I know there's a long road of, you know, you did a lot of life before coming to FBCSA, but talk to us a little bit about how you came to know Christ and then what led you to this church All right. in particular. So for me, you know, we just had an RA event here and, and um, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention all of the missionary stories I learned through that, the Bible verses. Mm-hmm. Leslie will say the same thing about GAs in her life. Without that, we wouldn't have known of missions. My little church in Florida didn't really do mission trips. Um, all of the mission trips I went on were with Presbyterian or Methodist friends. <laughs> Oddly enough, it just it was such a small church. Yeah, we always had a missionary moments, like during offering, which was helpful as well. And we always uh, had missionaries come and speak. And I, I think those things were pivotal in me at least knowing about missions on a small scale. Now, as far as salvation goes, I mean, I was raised to learn the Bible and to be, you know, a good good old boy. (laughs) But it wasn't really until college until I realized, you know what, I've never really repented of my sins. I've never really stopped doing all these things that God, God's going to judge me for. And after reading all those scriptures, you know, very clear. Don't be deceived. If you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Verses like that just kind of struck the fear of God in me and helped me to realize I'd never feared God. Maybe I feared hell, but I didn't fear him. And that, you know, that if you know anything, that's the problem with the country today is people don't really fear God. And maybe even in the church, we're not fearing God. And so in college, I I feared him for the first time, and I just said, God, please help me. I, I can't stop doing these things. I, 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 want, I want to go to heaven, but I know I'm not going to if I continue like this. And he just calmly and, remi- and just gently reminded me of what Jesus did on the cross and then just spoke to me as clear as day, Byron, have faith like a child. I can change you. I can cause you to hate your sin and love me. And I'm going to send you and, and help you send you to dangerous places and help you tell others about me. And it was like this salvation calling moment, you know. Yeah. And I just remember being completely changed. And I, would, I went out witnessing the very next day. I was like, who, who, who can I wit- I don't even know how to witness. I'm going to go. I called my friend up and I just went to the movie theater and just read a gospel tract to a bunch of kids <laughs> standing outside. And I was in tears just going, man, this is what life's all about. And uh, I mean... I was leading teams, and we were witnessing to drunk people down at the bars. I mean, whoever would or wouldn't listen to us, we didn't care. We just were going and, and tell, telling people about Jesus. Yeah, so. that's awesome. So uh, mine, when I was eight years old, um, I grew, grew up going to church and um, always hearing, you know, missionary stuff, but um, that kind of didn't come into play till later. But um, I just knew that I was a center, a center, a sinner and um, separated from God and wanted to have a relationship with him. And so um, I knew that he died on the cross for my sins and rose again. And um, so I just put my faith and trust in him then. I was actually on a family vacation when it happened and started singing. I had decided to follow Jesus. And so that's really when my story started. And um, then, you know, actively grew up in church and doing GAs, which is Girls in Action, and mission and uh, act teens for older girls. Um, and actually, my family, I grew up in San Antonio, and my family came to First Baptist in 1999 when I was a freshman in high school, and that just opened up more opportunities to um, going on mission choir tour. They still yeah. kind of do that, yeah. do some, something similar, yeah. and... Um, you know, working vacation Bible school and just things that opened up opportunities for mission work that eventually I didn't even um, realize how much influence this was happening in my life over, you know, growing up. But whenever 
we did go out as missionaries. We had to write a 10-page paper. It's a lot of words. <laughs> about um, every aspect of your life when you're like 24. I mean, <laughs> you know, how much you can say, but... Um, Theology. Yeah, which I know I messed up on some of it. I look back and think, oh, my goodness. But that's the, that's a great thing about God is he's just been so gracious along the way and in my walk. And, um, yeah, well, how did I mess that up? But, um, yeah, anyway, just see, looking back over my life and how you know, God put us in different you know, ter- churches or different ministries that were able to call me to, at that point, go as a missionary. Yeah. That's awesome. And so then y'all served in China as missionaries. Was it always China that you had like planned on or was there, tell us about getting to that point, but then also just your experience as a missionary in China. So I'll, I'll go, I'll go first. (laughs) I, my church, I went to uh, Hardin Simmons in Abilene and uh, the churches that we had adopted a people group there, there, they had long, long adopted this people group and so our church consistently sent groups, and we, we would then be praying for them, the people. You adopted and a people group in, in, China. in China. Sorry, yes, in China. <laughs> it's always been about China. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so one summer in college, we would always take a month-long trip with college students, and I got to go, and that's when I fell in love with the people and the culture and um, just seeing the lostness and that, but also you've seen both. They're seeing just the, the amount of people and the lostness, but also seeing the church and how it was thriving mm-hmm. and wanting to be a part of that. And so whenever it came time to, oh, what are you, you know, picking a place, I always said, I'll go in open-minded. But I never, yeah. I couldn't take my eyes off of the China table. It was just kept drawing me back. And I did not go back to work with that people group, but... Um, Another, you know, in a completely different area, but still mm-hmm. is the, the country as a whole, just to be a part of what was going on in China and, uh, yeah. you know, knowing the lostness. That's awesome. Yeah. I had never gone anywhere other than Mexico, South America, and Canada. I mean, I'd never gone anywhere else internationally, but I'd read a missionary biography, Hudson Taylor. He's one of my favorite missionaries. And he was a young man, and he was going to be a medical doctor, and he gave it up. Well, stopped studying. He didn't finish his studies. He, he just was compelled. And he read a gospel tract and was saved through that, and he was just compelled. And the tract talked about the lost millions, and now it's billions, but the lost millions in China at that time. And, um, and, he, and I thought, if he was compelled to go, and I, after reading his story and his faithfulness to be a missionary in China, I just, I thought, what excuse do I have we have airplanes now. He didn't have that back then, you know. He he had to ride a donkey up into the mountains, you know. I could take a truck or something, you know. And it just, I had no no excuse after reading that biography. I just thought, mm-hmm. and now when I went, I still had an open mind. They, had, they gave you three slots. You could put three choices when you went to the missionary job, inter- job, job fair. fair, if you want to call it that. And... I don't know. There were other missionaries that were trying to get you to go to their country. And, I'm, you know, and my sister was actually going to India at the time. She was going to go to India. And she vowed she would never go back there. <laughs> don't ever do that. Don't ever tell a guy you're not going to go back to someplace. But um, she was there for about 10 years. And uh, so I was like, well, maybe I should go to India. You know, I'd be somewhat close to my sister then. You know, I don't know. But I just felt drawn to China. And, and actually... The guy who was in charge of saying yes or no to my choices said, no, you shouldn't go to China. That's communist and closed. And if you try to preach the gospel, they're going to shut you down, you know, or worse. And he's like, you should go to Latin America. He was from Latin America. And he said, you should go there. You can preach anywhere you want, you know. And, and uh, I just, I just like, I went to the head of the Chinese region at the time, and I said, can you sign off on my choice to China? <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to go. I have to go, you know? Yeah. And uh, awesome. thank God I did, yeah. And how God. did y'all's stories, where did y'all meet, or how did y'all connect before <laughs> going well, to China? Yeah. She tells us probably better than me. Yeah, I mean, I'll try and make it concise, but uh, concise. he actually, we were both in China, and 
He was. He started. Oh, you were already there. We were. Yeah, we I were didn't know there. That. We I'm, never really I'm met. a lot of things. Okay. In China, though, yeah. Yeah. she well, saw well, my. Okay, gosh. Uh, wait, okay you tell it. <laughs> so we. Um, he was there six months before me. He was living in a city, um, and then he left, and I came in. He went to another city for another year and a half, and I came in into that city and worked under the same lady. Um, it was a. It was meant to be like a six-month mentorship program, and you learn the language, and then get sent out to somewhere else. You gotta find like where, you know, what your passions are, what you're good at, or if you thrive in a big city, or if you would be better in a small city. And when I say small, I mean like one to three million. But <laughs> um, anyway, so it came in, and I saw his picture on the wall, and I was like, oh. That's I have guy. one foot up on the Great Wall. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and so from there, he didn't. He still didn't know who I was, but it was like. Six months after that, that I knew we were having a meeting in Thailand for all of East Asia region, and so I just made my put myself in his path. So I'm like, hello. <laughs> and then that's how I, I thought it was chemistry, but she was she <laughs> was <laughs> real in the end. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. So talk to us about the work that y'all did in China, um, and y'all were there for how long? Four years total. total. Okay. So two years as what you call journeymen, and then yeah. two years married. Okay. On the career path. Okay. And so tell us about that time. Um, what did your missionary work look like? Or what did how, that time How about like? I start? You've been talking a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell my side. My, my first two years, and then she'll tell hers. Her, hers is, sounds a whole lot more exciting than maybe mine did. Um, I, I actually went to one of those smaller towns of a million, two million, and... Uh, it looked like Vietnam. I mean, I, I, I could ride my bike out into the rice fields, and it was just, I felt like I was in the real China, like the ancient old, old China. And uh, um, the, area, the area I was in spoke a mixture of Cantonese and some local dialect. I learned Mandarin. Oh, wow. So, so I, I, had to for, <laughs> I had to force people to speak Mandarin. Some, most could, not the old people. Old people could only speak whatever the local dialect was. It was interesting, but I actually learned to speak it pretty well because it was sink or swim. You know, most people didn't speak English. So often I would bring someone who was Mandarin speaking with me to different things, and then he would be speaking Mandarin and it would force everybody else to speak that so I could at least hear and understand <laughs> what they were saying. But um, so I, I was with a company and actually was doing the, I was under the guise of doing exports. <laughs> And so that was my covert cover. And, and, and I, I would go into factories, and we would try to start Bible studies or figure out how to convince the manager to let us do more than just what we were there to do. And, and then uh, there was also a small church that was just budding in that area, and we were trying to get that going. Um, a lot of young people, actually. It was, it was pretty exciting. Um, but I, I knew nothing. I was so green at the time. I mean, I, I did so much maturing during that, during that time, learned so much about ministry, what not to do, what to do. Um, uh, worked a lot with students, and so it's kind of risky working with students because there's all eyes on them, so to speak, you know? Um, I mean, we, we've, had Bible, we've had Bible studies in a business before, and it was almost safer because, well behind closed doors kind of thing. But in a campus or even off campus with students, it's pretty risky because the government's watching you pretty close. But we had Bible studies going on with students, which was really fun. And um, that was my main, that was my main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I did two main things, really. Um, when I first got there, I mean, I was not there long, and our team, we were going to do prayer walk, but I think we ended up riding the bus because it was raining. And so pray over the city on different bus routes. And the first day they said, we're in this group, we're going to pray for the red light district. And I'm like, what's that? Like I had no clue. I was, you know, was I 24, 25? No clue, clueless. So I quickly learned what that was and very shocked. And so I joined. And so for a year I did that. I worked with the red light in the red light district with local Christians. And so we go in together and uh, share that we have, they were just sitting there waiting, and so we'd have opportunities to share the gospel with them and 
had Bible study in some of the places, you know, short and quick, but um, just opportunities to go in and um, share Jesus with them. And so that was one thing I did. And then another was I worked with college students. I was a student the whole time, so I was had access to campus, and I was always on there. And um, I started, I guess, with another short-term missionary. I started a English corner, and so we would do that on Friday night. It was the most fun I've had on a Friday night. And um, just playing games, um, teaching them English, obviously, but you know, through different ways. But every time we would make sure that we were sharing the gospel with them. And out of that, then I, a group would come over, of girls would come over on Saturdays, and I had a DVD club. And <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, there were no <laughs> streaming services there. But um, we would found in the DVD shop. Um, Copy DVDs. The, oh, no, we'd watch the Magdalena, which was a Jesus story film, but kind of like through the eyes of Mary. And, you know, yeah. it, was, it was like more like women focused. And so each other than that, and then they would want to know more. And we found the last Sin Eater DVD, which was written by Francine Rivers. And so we'd watch that next, and they'd be like, well, who can take our sins? And I'm like, well, let me tell you. I mean, even though, you know, we, they'd watch these videos and had seen it, but yeah. able to just, you know, comp- uh, share more and more on that. And so yeah. Saturdays are meeting together. And so those were my two main things that I had the opportunity to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, okay. And so after... All of that time um, that y'all were there. Um, now, as you're and you're still in the mission field, just in a different way, right? Um, what is something you wish more people understood about overseas missions and that experience? Or because a lot of us, maybe we've gone on like a a quick mission trip, right, or or something like that. But um, when it comes to the long term work of of being a missionary overseas, what do you wish people kind of understood more about that. Do you want me to go first? <laughs> go for it. Do you have something? <laughs> okay. So one thing is people put missionaries on a pedestal and raise them up high. <clears throat> Most, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know a missionary. That has it together. That, that, well, they are... You know, for instance, when, when, they're, when they go overseas, they give it all, they, they want to give it all up. And often they, they cause a rift in their family. We have friends that don't even speak to one half side of their family because they're so mad at them for taking their kids overseas or, you know, leaving everything. And, but a missionary is so compelled to go and tell someone who's never heard about Jesus that they're willing to give it all up. Um, and... That's the heart of a missionary. They, they try not to hold on to things too tightly. Now, that's not always true. I had a seminary professor show us a picture. It was this huge truck of stuff. <laughs> and he said, is this in America? Or is it? And it was some missionary. He had toted all this stuff. Oh I mean, just like, and he's like, don't do that. <laughs> don't go taking all, carrying all your, you know, there's a reason Jesus said just take, you know, a bag and the stick. Don't take all the we took a little more than that, too, but, you know, <laughs> you realize stuff doesn't matter as much, I think, too. And um, another thing about overseas missions I wish people knew was, well, especially today, you know, you talk about the church being so strong. You know, a missionary is trying to work themselves out of a, out of a job. Their goal is not to set up their flag there, their church there, and stay there forever. They're not a pastor who wants to pastor for 50 years. No. Yeah. It's like Paul. You know, he's slaved night and day with tears wanting that church to be mature. You know, three years he stayed, but it, it, he isn't going to... The goal is not to stay there forever. And um, when God moved us back here, we didn't understand why at the, mo- at the, at the moment. But he sovereignly moved us out of the way so the church could thrive. We were doing the work we trained them to do, but hadn't stepped back enough, you know. And as soon as we were able to step back, I saw the leaders keep doing what we taught them to do. They, one started preaching more often, the other was teaching. And, and so sometimes 
you know, I, I don't know what people th- think missionaries are, you know, and if they stay in a place an awful long time, I sometimes wonder, are they, are they listening to God's voice? Because I think the church has got it. Like right now in China, the church is healthy. The church that we were helping to serve and make stronger when we were together, married, was going on. And I went on one of the mission trips to northwest China with them. They were going on mission trips themselves. And if that's not a sign of maturity, I don't know what is. And so um, I want the American church to realize Christians around the world are quite capable. You know, missionaries are there to hold their hand for a moment, but they're not meant to stay there. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, and so that leads well into our next question. Um, and we'll we'll get into all of these things. But um, how do we find a good foundation for having a theology of missions, or how have you developed a theology of missions? Because I think we can say we can oversimplify the work of missions and just say, well, you just go share the gospel, and and we haven't refined like a true theology around how to do those things. And so. Right. How have you developed a theology for mission work? Do you have anything? No? Okay. (laughs) These are more my questions. (laughs) Um, So you have to go to the beginning. I I have a book that I'm leading our teams through right now, and it literally goes to the beginning of the Bible Mm. and takes them all the way to the front and just shows them how God always intended this from before time began. You know, he even had to make the conscious decision, am I still going to create this world knowing people are going to hate me and deny me and disobey me? And he knew that he would have to sacrifice his son for the world. And he still created the world. With the intent of, and knowing that he would have to seek and save those who are lost. And... You know, he gave us a command at the beginning as well, which was to be fruitful and multiply. And and he intends that to be spiritually as well as we go. And so, you know, an, another theology point that I've been reading a lot, and it's a lot of it's in this book I've been given the teams, is it, it, Jesus is not your personal Savior, which is a shocking statement. But the, the author says it in this way. He says he's the world's Savior. And, um, yes, he, he, you want him to be your personal, have a personal relationship, but it's, don't keep him to yourself, and don't make him look like he's an American savior, or Western, or, mm-hmm. that was one of the hardest things to help the Chinese understand, that Jesus wasn't an American, and, it, and Christianity isn't a U.S., the, well, you know, he was a Jew, and this is a worldwide relationship that Jesus wants to have with everybody. And so um, I, th- I think the hardest part about theology of, mi- of missions is why do we do it? And I, this is a good story. Uh, Paul, Paul Washer, he, he's a missionary. He has a heart cry missionary society. They do a lot of indigenous work, which is... I, I say it's the new way, but it really is the original way. We did missions at the beginning, returning back to helping the locals do the work. Not the the missionary doesn't isn't the face of it; it's the locals. Yeah. But anyway, he was down in South America and as a missionary, and he went into this particular village, and they spit on him, threw his Bibles back at him, threw his tracks in the mud beat him up and kicked him out of town. And he just said, God, I don't think I love these people. And God just spoke back to him and said, but you love me, don't you? Do it for me. And, you know, I don't think we always have to love (laughs) immediately (laughs) because all love comes from God and you might not love them at the moment when they hurt you and but Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to those who yeah. use you and hurt you. And don't be surprised when people persecute you and do all sorts of horrible things because of my name's sake, right? He said, don't be surprised. And I think if we, if we don't remember that God already had this mission in, in place when he, before he created the world. I mean, before the foundation of the world, it says that Christ was 
the lamb sacrificed for us. And God already had in mind that he would use us, these weakened vessels, to take the gospel to the world. Sure, he does it. He he can do it himself, and he does. I mean, he sends dreams to Muslim people all the time. He, I've even heard of people hearing about Jesus when there wasn't much presence of a missionary. Sure, he can do it, but he chooses to use us to be his mouth, hands and feet, and his mouthpiece. Yeah, that's good. Um, Because I think missions can get you know we can get tripped up in knowing that we know that mission work has done, been done poorly before, right? And in the past, and it kind of got married a little bit in some ways to colonialism, right? And it kind of, there's some things that happened throughout the church's history of doing missions that things, things didn't go well or the, the main thing didn't stay the main thing anymore, right, in some of those endeavors. So what, um, what are the causes of, of some of that stuff that mission work was done when mission work has been done poorly, what is the cause of that? And what, do, what mistakes do people make when they're going out into the mission field? I, I think um, what I observed, because it's not like I've studied this or anything, but I observed that we as Americans, Westerners, like we are trying to go plant our churches. Mm, so we must yeah. have these, we have to have Sunday school for an hour, and then we have to have a service, and it has to have all of these things. So it's just like we've taken our church, and we have to have a building. Yeah. If you don't have a building, you mm. can't have a church because the church building is the church, right? It's not. <laughs> but, um, I, mean, yeah. that's, I mean, that is really so many people's mindset, you know, like, mm. we're going to church. Well, we're going to the building, but yeah. we're going to go be with our church. You know, and so over, like, we've taken over there, and there, you can see it in the, we've seen it in, in the Chinese culture. It's, oh, we need to find a place. We have to do this. And it's like, well, just you know, rent a play or, you know, meet in someone's home or we, even our friends, I mean, they rented an apartment, our church, they rented an apartment to use. And it's very, everything is set up the same way because that's how we're teaching them to do what we've done, yeah. whether or not it's yeah. right or biblical. You have to have a projector. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really, it's, it's crazy. And, yeah. um, but you don't need that. You know, you go to, to Ken, we went to Kenya and, just open field and there's you know they did use the school Mm. so they could be inside in I guess inclement weather but you know then outside for worship and using that but you can't really do that in China so I guess it depends on your country as to how open or closed you can be in your preaching but I feel like that's what I saw the most is just bringing our own what what church should be and then they don't know how to reproduce that so you have to make it reproducible yeah. Yep. the things that they have we can't bring you know we'll we'll pay for all of this to get it started well then yeah. we leave who's going to pay for it mm-hmm. so just making it accessible and reproducible yeah because it's not organic if yeah. you're just giving them a blueprint exactly. that may or may not work yeah right and that's good because most of what we experience as church is is kind of non-essential right it's just the way yeah. that we've chosen yes, to but... set up church life which are good things um but not necessarily essential in yeah. form, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we could be doing the same thing in a totally different way, but mm-hmm. it's kind of mind-bending for us because we've always done yes. church in this one way. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That, that has severely limited the growth of the church and the kingdom of God by us trying to copy this. You know, let's put a building like this somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what what missionaries have seen recently is how can we prevent that at all costs? How can we write the DNA in a people group, help them understand what their culture is, not write a Western idea of what church and Christianity is, mm-hmm. keep it true to the Word of God, and 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 you know let. If they need a building, fine, but let's let them build it. Yeah. You know, because, you know, even when we, you might, this might carve into some of your other questions. Mm-hmm. When we do short-term missions badly, one example would be going into a place and building a church building. Uh, I've been on that trip. Uh. <laughs> or, or even, Actually worse, I think I just dug a hole for like a week once, and that was the yeah. big missions thing. Yeah. Or, Y'all did do that. Or you, or you brought, yeah, 
Or yeah. you brought a bunch of shoes or something to give kids. Now, two things have happened, at least. By building that building and not letting them build it, first of all, it probably doesn't look like they... It doesn't look like there are other buildings. They might only use it for that, (laughs) and that's it. They might not use it at all. There's stories where we've built built buildings, and they don't use it at all (laughs) after we build it because it's it's weird. It's strange. It's foreign, and then by bringing stuff like shoes and other things that that area, there's probably a family that makes shoes, Mm. and you've just caused that family to starve to death. Mm. So good job, you know? And so, like, you know, a lot of times... We think we're helping, but we're hurting. And there's a whole textbook I'm going to try to go through, and it's, it's When Helping Hurts for Short-Term Teams. And it's quite eye-opening yeah. as, you know, the, the question we should ask, whether it's long-term or short-term, is are we actually furthering the kingdom of God? Are we actually helping or are we hindering? Mm. You know, those, those are good questions. And um, I think one reason you spoke about colonialism and all those things, you know, Think of all the horrible things. The Boxer Rebellion happened because, and, and then the Opium Wars happened in China because yeah. we rode on the same ships, the trading ships of England and others that mm-hmm. were the bad guys that were bringing opium in. And that, um, I mean, yeah. so the Chinese were lumped in. I mean, the, the, China, the Christians were lumped in with all of those bringing the drugs into mm-hmm. China. And so Jesus got associated with opium. And I mean, it, you know, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of times we end up hurting, uh, yeah. well, hurting Christ's witness. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's something that you and I were just talking about this the other day. It's hard to, all of our experience with faith, if, if we grew up in America or wherever you grew up, right, that your American worldview is a part of that, right? And, and that's okay because there's no other option, right? You're, you're, yeah. Your faith and where you grow up and the culture that you grew up in, that's all going to inform your worldview and your understanding of Christianity, right? Um, so when we're going to a totally different culture that is entirely different from ours, and we're trying to present a pure gospel, but the only way we've ever understood the gospel is through a very American context, I'm, hmm. it, that's what gives me heartburn, right, when I think about these things, is how do I strip away the things that are just part of my worldview because I grew up in America and give them what is Christ crucified and resurrected without all of that extra stuff. But in reality, there's always, you know, we can't divorce ourselves from our worldview, right? And so I think that's one of the biggest things to figure out, I guess, or to address when you're doing that work. I don't know the answer to that, but that's hard work. One of the things that led me to China was how beautiful their language is. Mm. I mean, if you've ever looked at Chinese characters, the written language, um, there's truth, even godly truth, hidden in their their very language. Because their language is almost as old as Tower of Babel. I mean, it's <laughs> it goes all the way back to the mixing of languages, pretty much. They can yeah. literally date it back to that. And so there's... One of the most beautiful, uh, I'll share two. There's one that's really interesting. It's the symbol for a large boat. And it literally is a boat (laughs) with eight people in it. Eight people were in the ark, right? Mm. Well, that's the symbol for their, symbol for large boat. And then that led me to another. There's a lot. There's there's so many. The righteousness, the symbol for righteousness which is only in the complex characters nowadays. The simplified version doesn't show it, but the complex one shows a lamb over me makes me righteous. Mm. And then if you break it down, you, t- you take the, the symbol for me, there's a hand, a spear, and blood. Mm. So the lamb is being sacrificed for me to make me righteous. Mm. And... You go to Beijing even today and go to the, the Temple of Heaven area. They have bronze bulls and, and bronze sheep showing, and there's a plaque saying that high, the emperor had to sacrifice a perfect bull or lamb to make the people righteous. Mm. And so they even had a sacrificial system. And all these things, it was so beautiful that God had touched their culture. And, if, and, and uh, there, there's a book called um, 
Eternity in Their Hearts by uh, Don Richardson. And I, I have copies in my office if you want one. Uh, they're out of print, I think. But he was a missionary, and um, he found out that these remote cultures, never having outside influence, never seeing a white man at all, had some truth from God implanted into their culture. One, some of them even had legends that someone would bring a book telling them the truth and things like that. And just, just fantastic glimpses of God's ability to um, start the work before we even get there. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, that's, so when we're thinking about those things, because we know, like, in history books, we've read how this is you know, gone poorly. And we've, we've yeah. seen that even for ourselves, right, on short-term missions where we <laughs> go in and do labor that probably wasn't needed or, you know, whatever. So how do we, knowing, knowing those things and knowing that we want to avoid that and especially that kind of savior complex of, you know, we're going to come in with our yeah. Western Christianity and fix all this. Um, how do we do missions ethically? That is a super loaded question. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how do we... How do we then have the right approach when we're engaging in missions, whether it's long-term or short-term? Um, do, do you have yeah. any examples of the ethic from the book, uh, the unethical ways from the book that you're reading, or do you have any examples? Um, I think... Just to help me. It's for uneth- unethical ways? Yeah, yeah. Do, is it, you said you're reading a book about oh, it. Was oh, there, yes, yes, yes. Was there a particular way they pointed out? So, so I'm reading a book right now, and it's really dense, so it's taking me a long time. Um, but it's about... Native American Christians, okay? And the the title is called Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. And so the whole idea is that it's a Native American pastor, and he's saying, hey, people get mad at us a lot <laughs> for what we call syncretism, okay? And that's where you're um, combining something like culture or a different idea or... Um, maybe even an idea from another religion, and you're kind of meshing that with Christianity, and you're doing like this. And people tell us that, as Native American Christians, that we're doing that. Um, But aren't you, you know, Western, white, Christian, doing the same thing, right? And and there's so many ways that we, without realizing it, um, can be syncretistic on our own, where we've said... um, Ooh, I don't know, how many toes do we want to step on, right? Um, you have to be conservative in order to be a Christian, mm. right? There's, there's so many different ways that we say there's this other thing that, that is drawn in to Christianity, and we've kind of enmeshed those things together. Yeah. And so, um, so it's so hard to do that because, like we said, you know, it's, if it's yeah. part of our worldview, it's always going to be there. But, yeah, how do we approach things more ethically? So... The missionary has to know what their job is. Is a missionary's job to go over there and um, to, to whitewash everything and change everything to make it look more Western, like Leslie was saying? Yeah. Or is their job to share the truth of God's word so that they become new people? Now, becoming new people might be countercultural. Yeah. And I think we have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus yeah. came, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is here. And, and he even was angry with the Jewish culture at the time yeah. that had taken the kingdom, the key to the kingdom of heaven had bent it out of shape so no one could even enter in. You know, um, yeah. and so what is sacred, I guess, is what we have to ask first. What is wrong? What is sinful? And then what is Jesus trying to redeem? Because missionaries over and over, one of the first things they try to purge is the local God. Mm. If they can't oust (laughs) the demons that are controlling that particular civilization, there's no way. Mm. You know, I can think of all the different ones going into villages that, you know, that had never seen a white man before. And it took forever for them to help them to stop the idol worship or to think rightly about God. Mm, yeah. So, you know, you could take 
the saints, Steve Saint and all the saints. Um, Steve Saint's wife was it that did most of the work? Elizabeth. Was it Elizabeth? You know, she continued the work after him, was there in the village, and they had a term for God. Um, Great Boa, was it? Uh, And they, they had different terms, and they had to see if there was any truth in that culture to start with. Was there anything that could be redeemed? You know? And they were able to use some of the same language. Well, they had to because they didn't have languages. So, give you another example. You could go into a country, and maybe you have the Christian language in their language, but they don't speak that language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I once went to a, a, just a, a working-class Chinese person was trying to witness to them. And they didn't have any idea what I was talking about. I was using Chinese. But they had never studied Christian Chinese language. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's totally different. And so... Yeah. Well, it's kind of the same as here now. It's, it's similar to here now, sure, too, right? We say churchy words. Oh, yeah, Christianese Christian, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's another example. Um, and maybe take it as, take it as, as you will, but... The church when we were there, they weren't practicing holy matrimony. And I, we don't practice it, here, practice it here either. It's our fault, I guess. But people would get the license from the government, live with each other maybe, even before they had the license. But they never did any sort of ceremony in the house church to say this is before God and before his people. Mm-hmm. It was cultural, culturally fine just to do whatever. It didn't, it wasn't, I mean, now... They have weddings, and they make a big deal about it. Well, that's what they would, they were waiting to get married while they could save up money. To have a big wedding, wedding, a big ceremony, which is also cultural. They did, yeah. But they wanted a Western one, too, which is, eh, wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, and I've even gone to Chinese weddings where they had the, the Eastern wedding, and then they would do the Western clothes after that, because they wanted to have it. They'd go jump on the bed, but that's a different story. <laughs> jump on the bed? <laughs> yeah. So but, there's, <laughs> so, yeah. I, say, I say that to say, by God's grace, we were able to show them, hey, don't live with each other. Make this holy. You know, we're talking to Christians here. Because we're trying to are leading the church. We're trying to help no them. Yeah. We're trying to help them redeem their culture here. And yes, it's acceptable in your culture. This is what people do. Mm, yeah. But this is what God's people should do. Mm. Um, another example is in their culture, which is also in Hispanic culture, they do this, but sometimes. But the parents would send the kids back home for the grandparents to take care of. The parents never parented the kids. Not even the pastor in our church would parent his own kids. And the kids were just horrible. You know, there was no discipline whatsoever. And there was some friends of ours who became missionaries there, and that was their mission. They made it their mission to help. How do we help the Christians to see the family as this is the, the father and mother's responsibility to discipline the children? Take care of them. Don't abort your babies. Yeah. You know, and, and I literally saw a family who, want, the, the head of household asked me, should I abort my second child? I can't afford them. Went from that and went from sending their kids to their grandparents to take care of them to now they, I think they have three kids and they take care of their kids on their own. They sent the grandparents home. Yeah. And God has blessed their businesses and their jobs for being faithful. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we have to look and see what is redeemable in their culture, what is sinful, what is okay. Because for me to go, well, keep your God on the wall and worship Jesus would be wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, um, sometimes it's a battle between good and evil. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to do the wrong thing ethically, but at the same time, it would be unethical to... And on, on the Christian side of it, it would be unethical for us to not take a serious look at what they're doing and go, yeah. this isn't just an American way. This is what God wants us to yeah. do. Well, um, that's, that's important, right? Because we're talking about what is countercultural to the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, not... Yeah. It's, it's a difference to, you know, to point people to the kingdom of God and point out how their culture is different from that as yeah. opposed to yeah. this is how your culture is different from mine and so you should yeah. be more like this. Right? So the Bur- American culture is nothing like the kingdom yeah. of God either, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the Burmese, 
that we've at Nurm Judson, you know, that you've seen them here at church, their hymns sound more like our hymns. But that's because I don't think they wrote any of their own. Um, now, the Chinese were gifted with 3,000-some-odd hymns that a Chinese almost illiterate woman wrote mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit. Like, she wrote almost 3,000 hymns, and they're beautiful. And so sometimes the church has um, what it needs to, to worship and do things, but sometimes I, maybe we give the—we probably— I think the Burmese have written their own hymns mm-hmm. by now. Yeah. But sometimes you do have to implant some yeah. Western things that we have because that's all we have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just translate it over, you know. Yeah, but, but having discernment there, yeah. Yeah, and having discernment. Yeah. Because is, is it, was it helpful to give them our Western hymns? Maybe, yeah. maybe. I mean, the purpose of hymns are what? To teach doctrine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think as long as those songs taught doctrine and yeah. didn't just yeah. keep them from growing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we've done all, we've had to do a lot of discipleship with these churches that came here mm-hmm. because they were just very immature. Yeah. There were no leaders. There were no uh, people that were able to to preach or teach. So, yeah. Well, I'd say that there was one or two, but yeah. But yeah. That's good. Um. And so now, um, what does missions look like at our church now? Um. How do we as FBCSA engage in missions? We know they're short term. Yeah. Trips, right? Um. What does that look like? Oh, yes. Thank you, Leslie. So, now that I've been given local and global missions, one thing I'm going to try to do is rebrand it so it's one thing. Mm. Yeah. I don't want the... It's always been my desire for the church to see this as one one heart, one desire for the church. Mm -hmm. I mean... Even here in San Antonio, we're reaching the nations. We have teams that are doing ESL for Afghan people every week, and every month there's outreaches to these refugees. And so, um, and you know, we can go anywhere in our city and find a, a different language. Yeah. I, there's, I can take you to an apartment complex tomorrow if you want, and every other door you knock on is a different language. Yeah. It will blow your mind. Yeah. But anyway... My, my, my desire is that we can raise up missional leaders here that are not only serving here, but then are motivated to then go out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that whatever we do here is like a training ground for what will come mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. Whether it's the next state over, the next city over, or the next mm-hmm. country. I, I don't think we, sh- well, first of all, we shouldn't separate our lives, right? We shouldn't yeah. say this is our church life and this is our home life and everything else. If, if we can somehow make all of that one, I think that would be healthy. Yeah. But then how do I, like, there's a, there's a young girl at GAs. She's, I don't know, eight years old. And she has been reading missionary biographies, and she wants to be a missionary. Mm. And, I mean, that just makes my heart happy. Like, how can I help this young girl to follow that, that call, that dream that God has given her to reach, reach the nations? Um, and I want that for everybody, you know? Um, not everybody maybe is called to be a sent out one, which is what a missionary is. You're sent out, mm-hmm. which could be to the college campus. Now, we shouldn't call everything mission, which is a whole other conversation. Sometimes we call too many things mission, and it's really not. Um, I want to be able to define that very well for the church, not just in words, but showing them. Like, this is a mission. Um, This is a mission. This is not. You know, and, and try to show the church those things, help them participate in them, and go, okay, I understand what a mission is of the yeah. church. And, you know, there was this young man. He was signed up to go to the Middle East and chase nomads around the desert. And uh, he was learning French because I think some of the nomads mm. knew French. I didn't know this guy. just met him. Mm. He was in the neighborhood doing a backyard Bible club. Or actually, he was driving the van for the kids. <laughs> and I had just come back from China 
we pretty much had no hope of going back. My son Keith was born, and we were staying here. He, he needed surgeries, and we had to stay here. Um, my first question, I asked this young man, I said, have you ever shared with your neighbor? Have you ever tried to share Jesus with someone in the park over here? Zilker Park. I was in Austin at the time. He's like, no. I was like, well, tomorrow we're going. (laughs) So immediately I took this guy on mission to Zilker Park, and we witnessed to no less than four different languages, people that were from four different language groups, and a derelict pastor's son who hated God. (laughs) He got to hear everything. And see everything. And we also went to a Middle Eastern restaurant after that, and we ministered ministered to the family that owned the restaurant. And I I just tried to open his eyes, too. I said, look, the mission's here. It's right there. And he's like, I didn't know this was possible. And uh, I don't think most of the church knows it's possible. I don't think they realize I can go... (laughs) And reach the world right here if I, if I want to. Yeah. If God gives me the, the desire. And I think that's my prayer is that people would have the desire. I mean, you know, I put these little signs. I put a sign up around on the missions wall that said, if you don't know what to do, at least start by praying for your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just told about a lady in the woman's Bible study who always had a frown and a scowl and was always angry, Pastor Chris. That's how he described her. He didn't tell me her name. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, I don't know. I need to talk later. <laughs> but but she came in that day with a smile and her face was glowing. They had never seen her like this. She had prayed for somebody in the supermarket from that prompting or some other prompting. And and started thinking, well, I need Bibles to give people when I pray for them. And what else do I need to do and be prepared to do? And it was like Immediately, she, she was mobilized. She was motivated, mm-hmm. compelled even, yeah. to share the love of Christ with somebody just by starting with that prayer. And um, I don't know. My, my goal in this next year is to find, try to figure out if I can get someone in every zip code that belongs to our church to say, I will be a lighthouse or a light. I'll, I'll be that light in that zip code. And I'll start by praying for my neighbors. And then I can point other church members to them as they become more confident and more able to do whatever God's calling them to do. And then people learn from them. And I just, I mean, that my, my dream is that by the end, by the end of next, by this time next year, we'll have somebody in every zip code that represents first Baptist and, and the church is doing what that old lady did. Just, yeah, I'm going to pray for somebody. And I feel like that, I mean, we need to have, I mean, I have friends who they witness almost every day. Like, I remember I was in one of the neighborhoods ministering to the Afghan people, and I saw one of those friends. He was knocking on doors like, you're in this neighborhood too? He's like, oh, yeah, I try to go in all of them and all around the city. This dude is just a witnessing fool. I mean, he just da, 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 knocking on every door, you know? And, uh, man, I'm not saying the church has to be that. Yeah. Not everybody's called to radical, crazy evangelism. But we need that. We need to, we need that that fire kindled, you know. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's awesome. And I have one more question. But before we do that, do y'all have any questions for Byron? If that's okay. <laughs> um, anything that has come up? Do y'all have any questions? Yeah, Laura. No. Um, I personally have felt a pressure within the church and in my people say, you don't have to be, but the underlying message is it's better if you were. Mm. Um, that's what I hear mm. a lot, which mm. is actually the same thing. When I was in high school, I would be very, very confident in my pastor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. If it is it, 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 it,
Okay. Yeah, that's good. So, let me tell you about a friend of mine. He is a radical. He's maybe more radical than me. <laughs> no, he is. Not maybe. We were walking around on the east side, pretty dangerous part of town, and two big Hispanic guys stopped us and asked us, what are you doing here? Like, why are you in this neighborhood? Five minutes later, we're on the porch having a Bible study. My friend is just, he has this ability to just, I mean, and I have other friends. Devin, who was here telling about Romania, he had this guy train them on evangelism. And he says they were in Denny's. And before he knew it, all of Denny's was in a Bible study, like people at tables and the servers. Everybody was the, it's incredible. So some, and I've known others, my sister included, she will witness to anybody. And when she was in Pakistan and India, she had to. It was like, boom, beeline. When she would see this lady who was out of her house, she would just do a beeline and witness, you know. And some people just have it. They have it. And they can't stop it. They can't help it. I mean, I, I knew another man. I, was, I heard legends about him. He witnessed to somebody as he's crossing the street. And as he's going up and down on an elevator, I mean, he, there wasn't a moment that he missed. I wish I was like that. I aspire to be like that. I don't know. I, I, is it wrong not to be? I don't know. Sometimes I, when I'm next to people like that, I feel like I'm wrong. I know what you're saying. I mean, yes, I go door to door, but I have to schedule it and force it. I'm not doing it naturally. Um, I, I like it. It's in an awkward way. I guess I, 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 I get used to making people feel awkward, and I feel awkward too. So, <laughs> Funny story. Uh, Mike Gahan, he's, um, he might be in his 80s now, and just a wonderful man. Uh, him and I go witnessing all the time. And I was like, Mike, I'm bored with what we're doing door-to-door right now. Let's do something different. <laughs> And so we sang Amazing Grace. I was like, let's just sing Amazing Grace. Let's sing hymns at the door and see what happens. <laughs> and so uh, it, was, it was fun. It, we still do it sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one time I knocked on a Jehovah's Witness door, and he said, what? A Baptist going door to door? <laughs> and he himself used to be a Baptist. And if you didn't know that, a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses are converted Baptists. Diverted Baptist, whatever you want to say. And um, anyhow, uh, I don't know how you know other than trying it. Because honestly, I didn't know it was possible. Kind of like that young man I took to the park. He didn't know it was possible. And I didn't really know it was a thing. I could do until I did it, until someone took me along and did it. So maybe if you want to go sometime, we'll, we'll, not, we'll do it. And we could be awkward together at the door, you know. But, but that's not the only way. I mean, obviously, that lady prayed for that lady in the supermarket, which is probably awkward, probably a lot more awkward than knocking on a door, maybe. But she was able to share something and get that. Now, I am... Missions and evangelism pastor, okay? So I have the right to say this. Evangelism, evangelism isn't always sharing the entire thing. You can't always share death, burial, and resurrection with somebody. Can you share a truth about Jesus? Yeah, that's good. So don't feel guilty if you're like, oh, I, can never, I didn't get to the cross, or I didn't, <laughs> oh, I forgot to say. Now, whenever I am trying to say the whole thing and I don't get to the resurrection, I usually feel pretty bad. I'll tell you another story if we have time. But because, well, I'll tell you now, it makes sense. I was in New Orleans witnessing to some kids, and this kid's like, Jesus doesn't live on my street. Why do you keep talking about Jesus? And then I was like, no, Jesus in the Bible. And he's like, oh, that Jesus is, that Jesus is dead. I was like, whoa, what are you talking about? So he had only ever heard Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. 
had never heard Jesus rose again. Ever since then, I'm like, I'm mentioning the resurrection, and I don't care. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what I have to do. I'll paint it on my forehead. Yeah. Uh, but share some. So here's, an, here's a good example. With the basketball kids on Wednesdays, which tonight we had a break because the RAs, but I told them, I said, I can't ask you to follow Jesus if you don't know who he is. And I said, you know, you guys chase after basketball players and you want to dress like them and look like them. And, you know, they're, they're, they're your idol. You love, you want to be them. I said, I want you to feel the same way about Jesus. I want you to know everything I can teach you about him. And so I started with all the miracles and I teach them about the miracles. And I would ask him, do you believe he can do those things? Do you believe Jesus can calm the, the wind and the waves and he has power over that? And, and he can raise the dead, and he can cast out demons, and he can heal the sick. Because if they can't believe those things, how are they going to believe the cross? So why even tell them about the cross, death, burial, and resurrection if they can't believe in his deeds and his miracles? When Jesus said, if you don't believe, uh, what do you say? If you don't believe my words, at least believe my deeds. Mm-hmm. And I think... If people can't believe in the power and the miracles that Jesus did and those kind of stories and know him like that, then what right do we have to ask them to follow him? So you you earn the right to ask someone to follow Jesus. And a lot of times that takes listening and seeing where they are too. That's another thing. First step is always listening. Whenever I have friends that just unload on somebody, I shake my head. Yeah. It's like, no, listen first. Ask that's, questions. That's a good, I feel like the timing of that question is good, Laura, because, you know, we just in Sunday school, we talked about the spiritual gifts, right? And mm. I think some people are uniquely gifted for evangelism, yeah. and evangelism in the way that we traditionally understand it, right? right? But all of the gifts, regardless, you know, administration, hospitality, you know, all of these things that we don't think of as the traditional form of evangelism, we, John Prinzing just talked about this on Sunday. All of those gifts are meant to grow the kingdom of God, right? And Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you're, you might not have the same giftedness for evangelism as your neighbor in that it, it doesn't look the same. That doesn't mean that you don't have a giftedness towards that, but it might look a little bit different, right? And I think, I think that's the the point of the spiritual gifts is how's the Lord gifted you to grow the kingdom of God, right? And it, maybe it's knocking on doors, maybe it's that kind of, and maybe it's not, maybe it's something else, right? But it doesn't mean you're not called to evangelism. It's discerning how the Lord is calling you to do that work. And some of it is, you know, we don't want to sell ourselves short and say, well, it's uncomfortable for me, so I don't want to do it, right? We don't want that to be the barrier, but we do want to discern where are we gifted, and how, how are we using those gifts to grow the kingdom, right? Well, and, and it, it's an opportunity to be creative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really, truly want to know what y'all's spiritual gifts are, so yeah. I can guide you. I mean, it's really hard for me to guide and, and direct and give you a way to be obedient for the Lord if I don't know what your gifting is. Yeah. Now, a lot of times I get to know you, and I know get to know your gifting, and that's why I often choose certain people, because I know what their gifting is. <laughs> And I don't always go after, oh, he's the evangelist. I go after certain people because I know they're the ones who I need for this, this mission. Yeah. And I, I actually did that with this last mission team, and I'll, I'll stop here. But uh, I had to figure out what their gifts were so I could actually help the missionaries that were going to help to be helpful. Because the missionaries didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. So that's a whole other conversation. But Laura, too... I want to honestly want to figure out what is, and I, I, I kind of know where your gifting lies. I mean, you're, you're in the job now where your heart really, it's a hard job, hard people, but you empathize, you sympathize with them, but hey, it's, could you be a witness there? And you've asked, how can I be a witness there? And that's the real question. How can we be a witness where we are? That's always the hardest challenge. Yeah. And it's kind of unfair that I get to choose where do I want to go to be a witness. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I was in the, at the bank before this and I couldn't find a church job, it was hard. 
I tried my, hard, my hardest to be a witness in that job, and I, I was. And God gave me a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. But, like, I want to help you in your journey to figure out where can you be obedient for the Lord? What does that look like? How can you be a witness and in what way? Because yeah. it looks a lot different than just let me share this, these five points with you. Yeah. Well, the four yeah. spiritual laws and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, we can't, we can't put our witness in a canned presentation if we really want to be sensitive and listening to the Holy Spirit and let him, let him yeah. be God. That's good. Any other questions for Byron? Yeah, Don. We got on a video call with him fairly recently. And uh, you, you hesitate to contact them because you don't want them to get in trouble with the government because even just contacting them, the government zeroes in on who are those Westerners talking with them? But they said the church is thriving. The government did shut down a location or two, but then they popped. We, they were able to open up other locations, and and uh, the leadership's still thriving. They're still there. Um, it was it was a joy to hear how people become more obedient. You know, twenty 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 one was very hard on them, like it was for everybody, especially for them government really tried to squash the church during that time um but he can't it just spreads it out further <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and so i am encouraged by the chinese church right now i honestly think the missionary age is over in china hmm. i don't think they need missionaries anymore hmm. and if someone was to ask me if we need to send someone there i'd say probably not if, if only to motivate the church to go be a missionary somewhere else. They may need help to do that. But the church has got it. I mean, our, that church we were raising had doubled in size, not for anything we had done, I don't think. I don't know. I, don't, I can't take credit for it. I just feel like we were on the shoulders of giants because we didn't start the church. Yeah. I just feel like, you know. But then they were going on mission trips. And I just thought that was amazing. I didn't know they were doing that. And so, I don't know. I, I, I have a good feeling about the church there. I think I think they're yeah. just fine without It's cool us. to describe something as they're out of the missionary age. I don't think yeah. we talk about that a lot. We think of just all foreign countries are receiving missions all the time, right? Well, you know? Korea is yeah. sending missionaries to us. Yeah, right. Well, that's, what, that's what's super interesting. There's a lot of, and some West African countries are African, sending Africa missionaries. Africa sending missionaries to us? Yeah. Hi, kiddos. <laughs> Here's my kiddos, Keith, Clara, and Darcy. Oh, so sweet. Um, well, yeah, awesome. That was a really good question. Keith though. has been to China? Yeah. <laughs> but, awesome. Well, can we thank Byron and Leslie? Um, thank you all so much.